Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And we come to you after a weekend of primarily FA Cup fixtures. We did have one Premier League game, which we'll talk about a little bit, but it was a, a bit of a snooze fest, wasn't it, Justin? But we, do have, we did have some great FA Cup games. Um, and we'll start on Friday as Middlesbrough traveled to Old Trafford, Justin, and they got it done against the Red Devils in the eighth round of penalties. Uh, what a game this was for a neutral slash people rooting against United, which is the vast majority of the country. Yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a neutral, but uh, yeah, it, it was fun to watch. I mean, Middlesbrough went to Old Trafford and did the business. Uh, it was obviously it took, uh, as you said, eight penalties, but got it done in the end. Um, and a really big result, obviously, United out of the cup. But I, I, the one thing that really stuck with me from the game was the picture of Sol Bamba uh, after Middlesbrough converted their final penalty. And he was just standing there like straight face, not even celebrating all of his teammates, just running at the goal as normal celebration uh, after penalties looks like. And he's just standing there. And then he tweeted afterwards with that picture, I'm too old for this. Yeah, well, too old for this expletive um <laughs> it was funny yeah but it was anthony alonga with the with the miss penalty um unfortunately for manchester united and middlesbrough going through to the fifth round yeah i mean united by all accounts should have won this game they had more than enough opportunities uh cristiano ronaldo putting a penalty wide bruno fernandez hit the post with a basically an empty net um, the one goal did come from from Jaden Sancho, which I'm sure is kind of the one positive for United here is he's, you know, starting to find his foot still very slowly, uh, starting to find his feet rather, um, you know, obviously big move in the summer hasn't really quite panned out as of yet. Um, but, you know, he's still very young. I still believe he'll come good. But I mean, United should have won this game. 71% possession, nine shots on target. And they had only had that one goal. And it was a, a very controversial goal for Middlesbrough, which equalized in the 64th minute, Justin, because it did come off of the Middlesbrough player's hand, who then crossed it to Matt Crooks, who scored. Um, but apparently the, the rules for this season, I mean, the handball rule is changing every year, so we can never really keep up with it. The rule is that, if it, was that an unintent- if it was an unintentional handball, you know, even if that means that they control the ball and then cross it for someone to tap in, which is exactly what happened, uh, that doesn't get overturned. So by the laws, you know, it was correct for them to award the goal. But then, you know, you look at the laws and they're changing every year and it's just, it's a crapshoot. It really is. Yeah, it's it's hard to do it, especially because it's with the implementation of VAR that it's really started changing every year, right? So now it's it's the question of is it the handball rule is it var we and is the rule even right in itself should we should it be changed again right these it keeps happening and so it's as you say a crapshoot really uh what what is going to happen each time on these uh, var decisions all right we can move into the early game on saturday it was west ham going on the road and narrowly picking up a win over Kidderminster Harriers um, in extra time. Justin, it, it was two late goals from West Ham that salvaged it. First from Declan Rice at, at the death in normal time, and then Jared Bowen at the death 
in extra time, which sent the hammers through. Um, you watched this game. What was your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I I would like to say I'm a neutral, but I'm always rooting for the little guy in these in these uh, you know big FA Cup matches where a, a small team gets to play a Premier League team, especially when they get to host them like Kidderminster did. Um, but they they got their first goal through Alex Penny in the 19th minute, and really they just played a good game out from there. They didn't concede too many chances. West Ham were shooting for more distance, right? 20 shots, but only four of them are target. Same number on target as Kidderminster. So there wasn't uh, a ton of chances until the late ones where Declan Rice obviously, you know, got snuck through and was able to put one past and then, and then Bowen, same thing. It was really unfortunate for Kidderminster because they felt that, you know, they were about to win the game and then they get it snatched from them and they fight back. They still have the mentality to not concede for another almost 30 minutes. And then they concede right when they think they're about to go to penalties. Uh, gotta be painful for them because that's, I mean, one of their biggest games in their history, right? Yeah, and they had the same amount of shots on target as West Ham, which is, you know, quite surprising, both with four shots on target. Obviously, West Ham dominated the ball, as you'd expect them to do. But, yeah, I mean, it's a real fight from Kidderminster. They're, they're pretty unlucky, you know, not to go through or, or to at least have not gotten it to penalties. Um, but it's West Ham being resilient, finding a way to win, made it a lot harder than they needed to, but, you know, found a way to get it done. Absolutely. And another near upset was Chelsea hosting Plymouth Argyle at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Plymouth Argyle opened the scoring in eight in the eighth minute uh, through Macaulay Gilles, Gillespie, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not sure. Don't really know Plymouth Argyle. Something starting like 11, that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it, Aspilicueta, 41st minute equalized, but it went all that all the way to extra time. Uh, and it took Marcos Alonso in stoppage time of the first half of uh, of the extra time where he, he scored. And, uh, Chelsea also scored another, which was taken away uh, right after that, uh, taken away for uh, VAR review. But it was a, bare, a bit small win for Chelsea, a barely getting through, even though they had, look at this, 41 shots on target. I mean, sorry, shots on target, shots. 41 shots, 11 of them on target, which is still a lot of on target, but 41 shots. I don't even know the last time I've seen a team put up that many shots in a game, much less have it be difficult to win for them. And don't forget, Justin, Plymouth Argyle were awarded a penalty in the second half of extra time and Kepa saved it. So this could have easily have gone to penalties, which is crazy considering 41 shots. Like, my goodness, that's so many. I'd love to see, like, the shot map on that. Like, were they just taking pot shots from 35 yards out? Or, like, were these actual quality chances and they just kept putting them over the bar or something? Either way, would have been a remarkable story. Luckily, and this is some foreshadowing, we did have one uh, remarkable upset. You know, not all of them ended up just narrowly going in the favor of the higher opposition. Um, but yeah, Chelsea and West Ham both escaping. And then, Justin, we can move on to a team that didn't escape. Pretty solid performance, despite yep. Fulham being, you know, Fulham have been very good under Marco Silva this year. And it was Fabio Carvalho, actually, who, who opened the scoring in this game, obviously was meant to move to Liverpool on deadline day. They didn't have enough time to get the deal done looks like Liverpool will be going back in for him in the summer, but um, city, you know, obviously did eventually their, their quality shown through, but um, Fulham put up quite a fight. 
Yeah, they, they really did, actually. I know the scoreline doesn't reflect that, but I'm glad you say it because Fulham played really well, and I don't think that people were giving them enough credit. Uh, obviously, that, that goal straight on the counterattack four minutes in, uh, it, it puts a little fear in, in, in City's heart. And Pep said it himself. He said, I was really curious to see how we were going to respond. Um, and it w- there was a quick response, obviously, four minutes l- or two minutes later through Gundogan in the sixth that uh, the, the ball with the outside of the foot from Cancelo switched it to Mares and just Mares put a ball right on Gundogan's foot that he just almost flicked it in uh, and, and leveled immediately. Then John Stones off the corner in the, in the 13th minute to take the lead within you know, 10 minutes of the, the Fulham goal. So it was really quick response from Man City, but Fulham were playing on the front foot. They, you know, were still attacking nearly 40% possession. So not getting as dominated as many teams see because they have confidence. I, I always think that it's harder to play at a, a team at the top of the championship, which by the way, it's the, the, team at the top of the Premier League versus the top of the championship, but it's harder to play a team at the top of the championship than even at the bottom of the Premier League because this team is winning week in and week out, and they have that confidence. Whereas if you play Norwich, who, by the way, were able to find a win over Wolves, so not confirming my theory there, but I think that it's it's a difficult game to play, uh, and and it, but City proved that they were able to handle the deal. Mares uh, with a penalty and another goal to, to have a brace uh, in the second half, I'll just say on that, that it's nice as a City fan to finally have a player that is bearing penalties that you have confidence in when they step up, because that hasn't been the case in the past couple years. Yeah, and just quickly about Fulham before we move on, you know, they are top of the championship and quite convincingly at the moment, Justin, they're five points clear of second place Blackburn, and they have two games in hand. So, you know, they have quite a commanding lead at the top there. I'd be surprised if they didn't, you know, at least get automatic promotion just with the, with the way that they've been playing under Marco Silva, obviously former Everton manager. But I think when, when he got appointed to Fulham, I, I'm sure I could dig back in my tweet somewhere, but I'm pretty sure at the time I said that's a good appointment and it's proven to be as of now. Um, and, and with that, Justin, we could move on to my game, which was also on Saturday. It was Frank Lampard's first game in charge of Everton at Goodison Park, hosting Premier League opposition Brentford. So this obviously, you know, was a big kind of banana skin game, um, if you will, banana peel game. You know, obviously we lost to Brentford earlier in the year at the Brentford Community Stadium, thanks to an Ivan Tony penalty. Ivan Tony would score a penalty again, but um, in general, Everton were by far the better team in this game. Um, just a complete departure from what we saw under Rafa Benitez. You know, we had just in our, our 91st minute goal from Andros Townsend was a 30 pass move. There were certain games under Rafa Benitez where I think we struggled to get 30 passes in the whole 90 minutes. Like this was, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was a complete rejuvenation. Just the, the play style was so much better um, and, and fits the personnel so much better too. Like Alan and, and, and Andre Gomez both probably had their best games of the season. And it's because those are players who are good in possession-based teams, not, you know, teams who are averaging 41% possession, which is what we were averaging under Rafa Benitez, I, I might add, through like, what, 20 games, which is god-awful, second least in the league, where in this game, you know, we had, we had more than 55% possession and we had 14 shots. I mean, that was the first time we've done that since I think the middle of last season. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a really, really solid performance. And that was without Calvert-Lewin, Donny van de Beek, Deli Ali, et cetera. So 
um, really happy with with the performance. And you know, Tuesday, so tomorrow against Newcastle is a massive, massive game, um, and, and I'm excited to see what Lampard does in terms of personnel. Um, you know, Calvert Lewin is has been declared fit for the game, which is a big deal. Um, so yeah, but you know, things are definitely looking up for us for the first time, you know, pretty much all season other than the first like three games. So um, not too much I can complain about at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Same scoreline as city, right? You love to hear that as an Everton fan Um, and a a win against a premier league team, which they would love to do in the premier league uh, soon. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it totally looked different under Frank Lampard. And that was really the story. Uh, of this game is is positive hope for Evertonians. Yeah, and also this was the first time we had scored four goals in a game since we beat Spurs 5-4 in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Um, what was that, December or something of 2020? So of a long time ago. Yeah, a lot of goals, a lot of goals. And then we can look a, a couple other games. Um Peterborough one two nil. That is that two city will be playing. Huddersfield one one nil. Stoke City two nil over Wigan. Uh, Southampton were able to get a win. Luton. Oh, Town we have to mention. Well. By the way, I'm sorry, I got to cut you off there. We have to mention that goal from Stuart Armstrong uh, for Southampton. My goodness, what a strike! Yeah, it's a good point. I'm glad you you stopped me there because that is a uh, fantastic goal. And we normally see them from James Ward-Prowse on that team, right? But another man stepping up and scoring a banger. Yeah, I mean, outside of the foot, top left corner, that that back angle that they showed of it. Oh, it it's a fan. Just a, I could watch that all day, and I'm not even a Southampton fan, obviously. <laughs> um, and then yeah, we can. Palace got the win, and then the the you know, game between Premier League teams uh, late on Saturday was. Tottenham against Brighton. Uh, it was Harry Kane getting a brace and getting, you know, back into scoring form. He's starting to do it in the Premier League. Uh, hopefully he can keep that form up. He's hasn't really struggled in cups. He's been able to score there, but uh, a 3-1 win for Tottenham, relatively comfortable. Um, what were your thoughts on that one, Garrett? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was kind of vintage Kane that – I think it was the first one, which was, you know, a gorgeous finish. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, we know that Spurs have been improving under Conte. They, they did a reasonable amount of business, right? Getting out some of what we'd call dead wood in, in Dombele and Lo Celso, even just on loan. And then I, I, I think Benton Carr and Kulusevsky are both decent signings. I think, you know, Kane's son Kulusevsky is, is an exciting front three with, you know, Lucas Mora kind of playing in behind as the 10, as he's been doing um, a solid amount so far this season. They actually play with a three back in this game, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, Spurs are going to improve under Conte. It's really, can they get that prim- that uh, Champions League spot rather? And we've been discussing that at this point. I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I don't know if they're my favorites at the moment. We, I mean, we've been going back and forth on this kind of all season it's kind of the most interesting storyline at the moment um other than relegation in my opinion is who is going to get that final champions league spot um but you know if spurs can get kane playing like this in the premier league then they will have a very very good chance absolutely uh and then there was the premier league game on saturday 
uh, Watford and Burnley playing to a, a pretty boring nil-nil draw. Um, seven shots on target total between the teams. Nothing really to talk about uh, really much no, there. No, I watched it. It was, it was a miserable game. It was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, I, I had to watch that as well. That was not fun. Um, but it, Liverpool on Sunday were able to find a way past Cardiff City, 3-1. to one. It was Jota Minamino and Harvey Elliott uh, on the score sheet. So Liverpool love seeing their youngsters, you know, get, get some time in the Cups and, and perform there. And then we can get to a couple upsets on Sunday. First, it was Nottingham Forest against Leicester City. 4-1, a real smashing of the Premier League team uh, and a really impressive performance from Nottingham Forest, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But, you know, obviously the headlines are all just going to be about Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City. Rodgers came out after the game and, and pretty much put the blame on his players saying, you know, we don't have enough players who are willing to fight to do the simple things right. You know, he, he's kind of, but which is, I, I think that's dumb because he brought in a lot of players this summer. You know, Pats and Daka hasn't really had an impact. You know, he scored a couple of goals. Um, they brought in Sangare. He's not really done anything. I don't know. I, I'm unimpressed. I think, you know, Leicester fans, I saw them all over my Twitter timeline um, calling for Rodgers to be sacked, which I think is honestly really fair. Like this is a, this is a, a, a squad capable of winning trophies. We saw that last season. They, they won the FA Cup, and they're currently sitting in 10th and losing to Nottingham Forest in the fourth round of the FA Cup. It's, it's unacceptable. It's really not good enough. And we've been talking about Brendan Rodgers on the hot seat, but his, his seat is, you know, about the temperature of the surface of the sun right now. Um, and I would not be surprised if, if they don't win their next game. Um, to see them to see them get rid of Rodgers and the problem is that their next game is against Liverpool on Thursday so there's a very good chance that they lose that game and then who knows yeah who knows with Brendan Rodgers as you say very much on the hot seat it's funny for me because he's always continually linked with the city job after Pep leaves which I don't really understand and and this is more evidence of that. We, we've talked about that before on the podcast that I don't, we don't think either, either of us don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and it was another upset, an even bigger one for sure than that, when Bournemouth lost to National League, Borum Wood. Uh, it was Mark Ricketts in the 38th minute, and Borum Wood just held on from there. I mean, three shots total, only one of them on target, which was their goal, of course. So really nothing to speak of offensively for them. 17% possession is mind-bogglingly low. They just sat in a low block the entire game and were able to prevent Bournemouth from scoring a goal. Yeah, I mean, it was a shite house. It is what it was. I, I watched this game. It was thoroughly entertaining, despite the fact, obviously, Bournemouth had a, a insane amount of the ball, but they weren't able to do that much with it, to be honest. Like, we look at it, they had 18 shots. They only put two of them on target. Dominic Solanke came off the bench with about 20 minutes to play, and he nearly scored about, about two or three times, but just dragged a couple shots wide. But it was a really, really impressive defensive performance, in my opinion, from Borum Wood, because, you know, when you have the ball that little, you have no out ball, you know, you're penned in your own end. The fact that they were able to keep a clean sheet while having 17% possession like that in 95 minutes of football is uh, it's a testament to how well their uh, shape, is, how, how well 
they were set up and their shape um, and their center backs, you know, were towering, winning every header. Um, Bournemouth kind of looked like they were out of ideas. They were just kind of throwing balls in the box and not winning any of them. Um, so, yeah, and Everton drew the winner of this game on Sunday morning. So before, you know, there, we, we knew it would be one of the two teams. Um, it was because it was before the match. Um, but I think my favorite story from this game is Boreham Woods right back um, or right wing back, I suppose, Kane Smith, who is a lifelong Evertonian. Um, when the final whistle went, he ran into the changing rooms, grabbed an Everton Tony Hibbert shirt, who was his idol growing up, right? Just an industrious right back who left everything on the pitch every single match, threw on that Tony Hibbert kit and started celebrating with the Bournemouth away end. Uh, absolute scenes. I, I really enjoyed watching this match. And um, I'm looking forward to Everton uh, hosting Bournemouth at Goodison Park uh, in a couple weeks' time. Yeah, no wonder why uh, Garrett loves that story. Um, but <laughs> and we can. We, there was those were only the games that happened. I mean, nothing, not a ton of games. I mean, there were uh, just FA Cup and that and that one Premier League game. So we can move on to uh, the questions that we got on Twitter this week which we, we continually love doing this, uh, gives us great topics to, to think about and, and discuss on the pod. So first is uh, we can sim- – similar questions from Chris who asks, the Man United team was streets ahead of the Arsenal Invincibles, or really states, right? Um, and, and we'll get your opinion on that, Garrett. And then also the best all-time Premier League team in terms of pure, et cetera, pure football, et cetera, uh, from Get Jack. So what are your thoughts uh, – first on the Man United 08 versus the Arsenal Invincibles? Well, I actually, I think I'm going to start with Jack's question first because, in my opinion, neither the United 08 or Arsenal Invincibles are the best Premier League team of all time. And I, I know you're going to love this answer, Justin, but for me it has to be the Centurions uh, City 2017-18, I believe that was. Um, yeah, they were just unplayable. 100 points, right? No one's done that. Um, and, and so they're kind of in their own kind of league there, in my opinion. You took the words out of United, my mouth there, Garrett. Yeah. If we're looking uh, yes. at United 08 and Arsenal Invincibles, who are, you know, obviously, you know, in the top five without, without a doubt, you know, probably top three. Those are probably the two other best teams. You could probably throw Chelsea 04 in there. Um, and, and the thing is that if we're talking just Premier League teams and you, you go Arsenal, I think, even though United had more wins – um, and they had a better goal difference. They had more goals scored um, and less goals conceded than Arsenal did. Arsenal didn't lose a game. And, you know, you can't overlook that. Although, yeah, they drew 12 games, can't overlook that. But if we're looking at it just as, as a team overall, I think oh, the 08 team, I don't know if I'd say we're streets ahead of the Arsenal Invincibles, which is what Chris stated here. But I would agree that they're, de- that they're clearly better Um you know, they, they did the treble, if I'm not mistaken. They won the Champions League final against Chelsea. Um, and they, you know, were only three points behind what Arsenal got the Invincibles year, right? So United had 87 points. Arsenal had 90. So I, I'd agree that the 08 team, United's 08 team, Champions League winning, you know, including Cristiano Ronaldo, Rooney, Giggs, Skulls, et cetera, Rio, incredible team. I think that they are arguably the second best team. Well, it depends if we're talking Premier League era, right? Because they won the Champions League, which in my opinion will always put them up there with the best teams that we've seen in England. 
if we're talking Premier League itself, then they're still not touching the Centurion team. But I mean, these are all obviously incredible teams and comparing them are, you know, it's just a dumb hypothetical, really. Um, yeah. So I guess those are my thoughts. Well, yeah, you, you took the words out of my mouth because Centurions are just, to me, the best Premier League team ever. Um, 100 points, over 100 goals, uh, under 30 goals against. I mean, it was an incredible 32 wins out of 38 games. Really, really impressive. I mean, when you look at, as you said, Arsenal, uh, the Invincibles, they drew 12 games, right? So they didn't have nearly even the number of wins that Man City did uh, in, their, in their Centurion season. Um, but we can move from Arsenal Invincibles to Arsenal Current Day, where we have Garrett, or G Money, who asks, or who really has a paragraph for us, and I'll read it word for word for you. Arsenal will finish seventh. Honest Arsenal here, non-biased, as you know. There is no process, and we're behaving like Bolton. We are finished, and we are a PR firm now. How's that for a hot take? Keep up the good work, guys. So how is that for a hot take, Garrett? Uh, I think... I don't think it's a good take personally. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that the Bolton thing might be speaking about them letting Aubameyang leave for free uh, to Barcelona, but I honestly don't think that's the worst deal at all for them because despite the fact that they are, you know, subsidizing part of Aubameyang's wages at Barcelona, it, I've seen it quoted that over the what last year and a half of that contract, they'll be saving somewhere from 30 to 35 million on Aubameyang's salary by letting him go to Barca. And we know that he's contributed next to nothing this season. Um, we know they, they need a striker and they weren't able to bring one through the door. Um, and so at this point for me, if they could somehow finish fourth, that would just be a, a huge plus for them, like massive. And that would help them attract a big name. Obviously it's not going to be Vlaovic as we've talked about, you know, we were, we were mentioning him for a while in January, but he's gone to Juve, obviously he scored on his debut the other day, actually. Um, so I'd, I'd say they probably won't finish fourth. I don't think they're going to get that champions league spot, but seventh, Mm, I don't know. I'm, I've been a, I've been a bit unconvinced by West Ham recently. You know, two losses, and then they just barely beat, you know, a lower level team there on, on Saturday. So I'd I'd go Arsenal maybe in sixth. Yeah, I, I think they'll finish either fifth or sixth. I agree. They're probably not going to get that Champions League spot. Um, in my opinion, it's going to be United or Tom Hotspur. But yeah, I, I just see West Ham dropping. Uh, also, you know, Arsenal have two games in hand on them. They're only one point behind. Um, Spurs have three games in hand on them. So if, if they can perform in these matches, right, they'll both pop West Ham and, and put West Ham down in seventh, which is probably where they'll finish. And then Arsenal in that in that fifth or sixth spot is how I see it going. So, Either no, way, I don't think seventh. Yeah, yeah. But and, and I think the hotter take is him saying that there's no process and they're behaving like Bolton. That's just not true whatsoever. I think Arsenal have made significant progress um, this season alone. They have so many good young players. Um, and then if they can get a striker through the door in the summer, you know, the, they really could be back in the Champions League by, you know, not next season, obviously, but the season after. So I, I don't agree. I think that their business is significantly better right now than it's been for, you know, quite a while because the amount of just bad transfers that they had, you know, at right at the end of the Wenger era and then under Unai Emery and whatnot. Um, so, no, I, I disagree with G-Money 
significantly here. He may have the same name as me, but I do not agree with his take. Yeah, well, it is. Um, it is has to be said that we are both Arteta in, and he is Arteta out. So that is going to be uh, definitely varying on our opinions uh, about how the way that Arsenal's run, because we think that process is going well, and and he doesn't. Yeah, and I, I was Arteta out for a while, but I've been swayed at the moment. That is true. That is true. I did a little bit of swaying there, maybe. Um, we, I agree. And we can go, we can go Justin, from one Spanish yeah. manager to another. And that's okay. Pep Guardiola. Uh, we've talked about him extensively on this podcast, obviously, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding his future, and that's why. And Chris comes in with the question, do you think Pep Guardiola will extend? And we talked about this a little bit, so we don't have to go super in-depth. Um, we talked about it a few weeks ago. I was saying that I believe it's dependent on whether City win the Champions League or not. But, Justin, you've told me that there, there's you know, some new information about this. Yeah, it's nothing too exciting. Um, but there were reports that um, the City group believe that Pep will stay and that the, the, even Pep himself is really open to staying further than his contract, which he previously said in interviews that he, he would leave at the end of. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but that's just why it's coming back in the news, probably why Chris asked it, because uh, there was a report came out uh, a few days ago it's just saying that Pep is very open to it. City believe that's happening. Reports prior weren't so positive as that. There have been, you know, both sides of it. So, yeah. I still think it's going to depend on on whether, you know, he can complete, you know, the final check mark on the list of his time at City, which is winning the Champions League. They've done everything else. So, um, I, I think that will be a huge factor in it still. Um, and Justin, we can move on to. Um, a, a good uh, another paragraph that we got here from Ollie G and, and it's talking about AFCON which we haven't really covered but obviously the final was just the other day um, and you know it, it was some good entertainment in that penalty shootout Ollie G says Edward Mendy uh, should surely get a shout for being the best goalkeeper in the world he said won the Champions League AFCON and could, could possibly add the Club World Cup too um, so we can discuss that. And then he also says, did it mean, Don't forget he the asked, Super Cup. Did it, oh yeah. And Super Cup. Right. And then he said, did it mean more to Mane than it would have to Salah because he missed the penalty early in regular time. So let's firstly, we'll talk about Edward Mendy, Justin, where do you put Edward Mendy in your, you know, your list of best goalkeepers in the world at the moment? I still can't put him at the top. I know that everyone likes him and I, and I know that you Garrett, you like him, but I don't know. I just, there's something about him that I can't, I put him, I don't put him at the top. I don't think he's as good as everyone hypes. I think it's just, it's similar to Tuchel that everyone hyped Tuchel since he got here. Everyone got hyped Mendy since he got here, but you know, Kepa has been performing since Tuchel got here too. Right. And in every chance that he's gotten and he comes in for penalty shootouts and things like that. But I don't know. I just, Mendy's a very good goalkeeper. He makes some impressive saves for sure, but he's made a mistake or two, no doubt. Um, And it's not that he has a ton to do generally for Chelsea. So I don't know. I think of, I still put, you know, even in the Premier League, I think Allison and Ederson and De Gea, I, I like all of these more. I think that's probably controversial at this point. Yeah, it is. But, but I, I just, maybe it's their history. Maybe it's how long they've been doing it, but consistency is everything in a goalkeeper. Um, so, yeah, 
I'm not sure. And in the world, I know while Oblox kind of fell off a little bit this year, he hasn't been performing too well. Um, But yeah, Terstegen is always up there. Neuer, of course. So not the best in the world for me. You didn't name who I actually think is the best in the world, which I I still believe is Gianluigi Donnarumma. Um, And he will only be getting overrated too. Interesting. I, I think he's not, and I think he's only going to get better. He's still so young. But I think Mendy, I, I would take, I still think Mendy's the best goalie in the Premier League right now. I don't think Allison's been particularly good this year. He's also had some high profile mistakes, that's for sure. I actually was looking on my Twitter timeline and I saw City Extra tweeted a year ago today, we beat Liverpool 4 1 in Anfield. And remember, like three of those goals were Allison's fault. So. Uh, that comes to mind, but no, I think Mendy has been phenomenal. Um, he, you know, obviously struggled a little bit when, when Lampard was there, but you know, since Tuchel came in in the middle of that season, I think he's been, you know, really solid. Um, and you know, yeah, obviously now as one AFCON, he made the save in the penalty shootout to do it. Um, you know, one super cup, as you said, although that, I, I believe that was Keppa who was in the, in the shootout for that. Um, but, you know, they could also win the Club World Cup. I, I, I still think Mendy has to be top five in the world, at least at the moment. I, I think you could make an argument of him being higher. Might be a little reactionary. I think he's top five without a doubt. Top five, I probably. But still, he, he's, on, he's on the edge of top five for me. Um, but, yeah, we have the, the other part of the question is Mane versus Salah. Did it mean more to Mane? Than it would have to Salah because he missed that early penalty. Talking about the AFCON final, right? Uh, Senegal threw against Egypt on penalties. It went, went nil-nil all the way to two penalties, 4-2 uh, to Senegal. Senegal really deserved this win, didn't they? they? They played better, more shots, more shots on goal, more possession. They had a, had a better game overall uh, than Egypt did. And it was really the Egypt goalkeeper that was, that was keeping them in the game and playing so, so well, right? Um, but Mane missed that penalty very early on in the game and then was able to score the winning one uh and to answer the question no i don't think that you can quantify i mean i don't think that you can quantify that i think they both of course wanted to win it for their country um it's a a massive thing for both of them and for both of their countries obviously so no i don't think it, it makes a difference for who cares more i think they both care immensely about it um, I think I think I agree that it's probably doesn't you know who cares more. I wouldn't say that's a, a good way or who does it mean more to to quantify. I definitely think winning it means more to Senegal than it would to Egypt though, because Egypt have won it seven times and Senegal never have. Um, and this was the third final they'd been to. They'd lost the first two, um, and this is you know this is by far Senegal's like golden generation. You look at the talent in that squad, that lineup. Um, by far the best in Africa, in my opinion. And I think they, not only did they play a better game than Egypt, I think they had a better tournament. Egypt, you know, snuck through like three different rounds in extra time. Um, so I think Senegal definitely deserved it. And yeah, that penalty from Mane, that was, you know, he missed the one early in the game. But the fact that he had the confidence to to step back up, take the winning penalty and absolutely bury it in the side netting, you know, a yeah. fantastic penalty you know, his confidence didn't drop whatsoever, despite the fact that he had his first one saved because Salah told Gabaski which way to go, which is quite funny in my opinion. Uh, and that's what happens when you have two teammates playing against each other in a final. But um, although I, I don't 
necessarily believe that it means more to Mane than it would to Salah. I definitely believe that it means more to Senegal than it would have to Egypt. And that's another reason that I'm glad that Senegal got the win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just quickly on the subject, because I know we talked about it, uh, Salah obviously didn't take a penalty because he was meant to go fifth for Egypt. And Jamie Carragher tweeted out that he thinks that you put your best taker fourth to prevent that issue. Uh, and, and I know you tweeted that you agreed with him. I'm not, I don't agree. I think it should be fifth because first of all, I just think it's, it's the most pressure penalty and it doesn't happen too often where this is the issue, but when it is, I mean, you either have a penalty to keep it going and not get knocked out, or you have a penalty, uh, to win the, win the title for you. Right. So, or, or send you through depending on what the situation is, but uh, I, the our, our guest last week, uh, USMNT Don Abby from USMNT Don, he he had the idea that you put them fifth, and then if it becomes this situation, you let them go fourth. So, what are your thoughts on this? I know you uh, tweeted that you agreed with Jamie Carragher about it. I'm not sure. Are 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 you allowed to do that? I think you might have to submit. I'm not sure. Dep- I guess it probably depends on the competition because I know I've heard in the past where you have to like tell. You have to like put put a sheet like tell the ref which is going once. So you can't just swap it around whenever you want. Um, I'm not sure if that was the case in this game. I think um, putting Salah fifth was an error. I, I believe it was an error, but it was not the the worst error. I think the worst error was Egypt winning the coin toss and choosing to go second. I mean, it, it going it's just empirically worse. Like teams that go first win twenty percent more than teams that go second. That's not a coincidence. That is a statistic across all penalty shootouts in football. Um, so them choosing to go second is puzzling. And then the fact that they would choose to go second and still put Salah fifth. Like, okay, if you're going first and you put Salah fifth, then I don't really think that's a mistake. But going second and putting Salah fifth and then, you know, your best player, there's definitely a possibility he doesn't even take a penalty. And, and it's not like, you know, it, this was some whitewash in the shootout. At one point, Egypt were ahead, um, and Salah still didn't take a penalty. So if you're going to go second, which, A, you should never choose to do if, if you can. You should always go first if you have the opportunity, you know. And, and then if you do end up going second, you know, say the other team wins a toss, then you should, in that situation, you should then put your best taker fourth. Because I, I believe that's the biggest pressure penalty because the fifth round might not matter. And also, even if it does matter, it, it's more likely that, you know, if the other team scores, you then lose even if you score in the fifth round, if you miss in the fourth. So I, I think it's a pretty widespread idea. And I agree with it that, that you put your best penalty taker fourth in a shootout. Well, keeping on the topic of uh, African wingers, Riyad Mahrez's Algeria were knocked out earlier in the AFCON, but we get the question from uh, Zilla, Riyad Mahrez versus Sadio Mane. Um, and I think we know my opinion, and I'll give my reasons in a minute, but Garrett, I'd like to hear what you think first. Wow, are you actually going to say Mahrez? That is, that is interesting. Um, I think it depends how long or like what time span are we looking at Justin? are, are we saying right now or or right now. What, oh, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. um god that's a really tough question i'd say i'd say this season probably mares but overall i'd probably take mane okay i i think mane at his best 
I don't know, man. Mara, I mean, Mara's at Leicester was different gravy that one season. Um, but then obviously, you know, Pep Roulette tax on his stats and whatnot um, at City. I, I, I think Mane is – I think at their, at their peaks, I still think Mane is a better player than, than Mara's. Um, I think Mara's is a really good player. And, and he's probably had a little bit – like his peak, you know, obviously was, was – in 2015, but he's also been really, really good for City. He's probably been more consistent than Mane because Mane, you know, really fell off last season and and still hasn't quite gotten back to what he was during Liverpool's title winning season. So um, that's my answer. I take Mares right now, but overall, I think Sadio Mane is is a supreme talent, um, a superior talent over Mares, if you will. Yeah, I mean. Everyone, people say it's city bias, but for me, it is Riyad Mahrez. I think that, first of all, I just think he's criminally underrated. And I believe that because I used to underrate him myself. I, yeah, I you did. Never, I did. I, I, I never, I didn't appreciate Riyad Mahrez for how amazing of a talent he is. Um, and he'll remind me of that every so often. And I've just, I eventually had to change my opinion because he's just so incredibly talented. He's one of the best wingers in the world. And he's, he's unmovable from that right wing in, in City's team in a must-win game, in a Champions League final. He is the starter on the right wing. He just is. And he has to be. But the thing is, is he doesn't have, as you said, it's funny that you bring up stats because his stats actually are superior to Mane's. But... Um, but as you said, the pep roulette. So it's just that he doesn't get that consistency that he really should. And if you would see him in a Liverpool team where he would start and win in week in and week out the way that Mane and Salah get to, his stats would be off the chart. His, his contributions, his, you would see incredible numbers. And I think really where uh, Mares stands out a lot is his assist rate, his expected assist much, much higher than uh, Mane's as well as obviously his passing progressive passing, uh, chances created stats they're all much higher than Mane's so to me it is Mares, and I know that's con- probably controversial just because people see more of of Mane because he gets to play week in and week out and yeah, he's a golden he's boot winner this. like you know no I I get it I just think that yeah Mares. I mean yeah. uh, my biggest my biggest issue with Mares is his decision-making. I think there's no doubt about his quality, you know, his, his crossing, his passing chance creation, his, his finishing, you know, distance shooting man can bang him in from wherever. But I, I do think a lot of the time he makes the wrong decision in the final third, um, you know, and, and obviously he still makes a lot of really good decisions because he's in, he finds himself in a lot of really good opportunities and he gets himself into good positions and he's playing for a team where he's going to have, you know, he's going to have chances. He's playing for the best team in, in England, you know, you could say in the world. Um, yeah. But and, and you say I, that I, I do think, is a... I, I don't know. I think a lot of the time he just is a little too selfish. He shoots when he should pass and he passes when he should shoot. Uh, that would be kind of my main knock on him where I think Mane, you know, and it's been less so over the last few seasons, as I said, right. but you know, Mane in that 1920 season was just superb. Like you could barely fault him for anything. Right. I, I just don't think he's as clinical as he used to be for number one. And number two, you say um, Mane, you know, is a golden boot winner. I mean, Mares is a player of the year winner. So I take your pick there. Right. So it, 
I mean, they're both obviously fantastic players, which is why people love to make comparisons. They're both world-class wingers. Um, but yeah, there's our answers. And, and I believe that wraps up our questions. Um, so we will see you next week. Uh, next Tuesday, or ne we will release in the morning in the U.S. time. Uh, it will be the return of the Premier League. We got games all week now, which is fantastic after we've had this, this long break uh, with only that that one game, uh, that Watford game, that was pretty boring against Burnley. But uh, we ask you to please subscribe on, on YouTube, Spotify, and follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's at U90Football. Uh, we're almost at 100 followers. We'll get there real soon. Um, and thank you for listening.